0: Hello and welcome to the ILAC and IAF podcast, Accreditation Matters, where we discuss with international experts matters that are of the importance to the international quality infrastructure community and the way accreditation supports regulators, global trade and consumers. My name is Brendan Moo and I'll be hosting today's episode of this new podcast series. As the title suggests, Accreditation Matters is a podcast and the voice for quality infrastructure because Accreditation Matters. We recently celebrated World Accreditation Day, a global day that recognises and shines the spotlight on the important role of accreditation around the world. The 2022 theme for World Accreditation Day was around the role of accreditation in sustainability of economic growth and the environment. It's an important subject, and many accreditation bodies from around the world highlighted and showcased accreditation in action. In this episode of Accreditation Matters, we're going to focus on the role of accreditation and accredited conformity assessment services within the quality infrastructure community. Let me introduce our guests today. With me here in the studio is Jennifer Evans, the ILAC Arrangement Management Committee Chair and CEO of the National Association of Testing Authorities Australia, known as NADA. And joining us virtually from Australia's capital in Canberra is Kylie Sheehan, the IAF Multilateral Recognition Arrangement Management Committee Chair and General Manager Operations at Joint Accreditation System of Australia and New Zealand, known as Jazz Ants. Jennifer and Kylie, welcome and thanks for joining the ILAC and IF podcast series, Accreditation Matters. It's an exciting new initiative for our industry, members, stakeholders and consumers.
1: Thank you, Brendan. It's great to be part of this new initiative. Yes, and thank you, Brendan. And yeah, it's exciting to be part of the very first um, podcast. They're starting on a high,
0: Kylie. Well, Certainly let's, are. <laughs> let's crack into it, right? So, look, Jennifer, let's start with you. You've had a distinguished career with NADA, 35 years, in fact, and including 11 as, uh, as CEO. So NADA is very well regarded in Australia. And in addition to your ILAC roles, you've also worked at the regional level with APAC. For the layman, can you explain what accreditation is from your perspective and its importance as a global framework? Thanks,
1: Brendan. Look, in simple terms, accreditation is the formal recognition that an organisation performing conformity assessment activities such as testing, certification or uh, inspection, meets international standards of best practice, is impartial and importantly is competent to perform those conformity assessment activities. The critical element of accreditation is the recognition of competence Accreditation is not just about ensuring that an organisation has documented procedures, that it ticks checklists every time it does something. It's about an organisation being able to demonstrate that it has the necessary attributes and that collectively those attributes enable it to produce accurate and reliable results that users can trust.
0: Right. Kylie, you've also had a long career with Jazz Ants, you know, coming up actually to 30 years, which is also amazing. NADA and Jazz Ants are both in the business of accreditation, but there are obviously nuances. Uh, can you give me your view on the differences and, and how Jazz Ants and NADA work together here in Australia?
2: So Jazz Ants and NADA are really just two of four partners that make up the standards of conformance infrastructure here in Australia. So this infrastructure is there really to provide confidence to customers of products or goods and services that those products or goods and services actually meet certain standards or regulations. So many of those standards and regulations are specific to product safety, as an example. The other two partners in the infrastructure are Standards Australia, who of course is responsible for the development of and maintenance of our national standards. And then we have the National Measurement Institute, who is responsible for ensuring that we have confidence in measurement through the management of national measurement standards. So each of those four partners have a very important um, role to play in this infrastructure. So JASA and NATA are the Australian government recognized accreditation bodies. And our role is to provide the confidence in conformity assessment, as um, Jennifer was mentioning, through that accreditation process. So uh, the split of activities between the organizations is clearly defined in agreements that we have with the Australian governments. NATA through a memorandum of understanding and Jazz Ants of course, through the treaty that we have between the Australian and New Zealand governments that created Jazz Ants. And we have a very long history of cooperation on various activities, various projects at many levels within our organizations. And I think an important point to remember here is that technical infrastructure partners rely on each other's work. So without uh, the national standards and without the, the measurement standards, uh, NATA and JASANs can't do the work that we do because there's not that underpinning with those, those types of standards that we use.
0: Great. That's very interesting. Kylie, IAF and ILAC are also the peak association bodies in the field globally. In the not-too-distant future, there are plans for ILAC and IAF to become one organisation at an international mm-hmm. level. Could you shed some light on this and really what the benefits are going to be of a merged organisation?
2: So I think for jaz for many of the accreditation body members of both organisations, the merger just makes a lot of sense. Uh, the scopes of the activities of the regional accreditation groups that support the work of IAF and ILAC are all fully integrated. So within the Asia Pacific region, for example, APAC undertakes the types of activities and peer evaluations that support both IF and ILAC. And so IF and ILAC members have considered this merger before, but I think this time around, we've really got the full support and commitment of all members to actually make this happen. Uh, The two organisations are actively cooperating with some groups, such as the IAF MLA Management Committee that I chair and the ILAC Arrangement Management Committee, which Jennifer chairs. Uh, We already work cooperatively in managing our activities and harmonising our approaches. And that's been going on for some time in preparation for this merger. So I think we've got a lot of activities that are actually supporting and driving this this merger forward. Each organisation has its specialist areas, uh, but there can be really um, quite significant gains in bringing the management of those activities together. And the merger also allows us to revisit our structure, how we operate and how we interact with our stakeholders. And this sort of comprehensive review hasn't occurred in the 15 years that I've been involved in both organisations. And so it really is quite timely and presents us with
0: many opportunities. It sounds like it's a great marriage. Um, Jennifer, do you have any thoughts on on the marriage?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, as Kylie has uh, indicated, there are differences in the rules and operational practices of ILAC and IAF, which impact ABs, accreditation bodies, that are members of both organisations harmonisation will reduce these inefficiencies and inconsistencies. Uh, Some of these are not necessarily visible outside ABs, but they certainly uh, have a big impact on the way ABs have to operate. From my perspective, the biggest benefit is uh, at the global level, accreditation will have one unified voice. Our global stakeholders will be able to liaise with one organisation rather than two. Now, having said that, I know that ILAC and IAF work very hard to ensure their messaging is consistent and unified. But nevertheless, it is still two organisations that our key global stakeholders have to work with. And for me, that will be the biggest impact at the global level.
0: Great. Well, I think that sounds like it's great for for the whole industry. We hear a lot about the importance of. And the role of um, mutual recognition arrangements in driving economic growth and global trade. ILAC and IAF uh, have more than, you know, 105 accredited body members operating in different economies right around the world that are part of this amazing mutual recognition arrangement. I'd like to get both your views on the benefits and the value of mutual recognition among these bodies, and it would also be great to hear some tangible examples of how this works best to support local and and global economic growth.
1: Look, Brendan, perhaps to take a step back... Mutual recognition between accreditation bodies is possible because there is an international standard of best practice that is specifically applicable to accreditation bodies. As signatories to these global arrangements, we as accreditation bodies need to comply with this global international standard of best practice. It's ISO IEC 17011. We are also evaluated every four years for our compliance with that standard. So the standard. Together with the peer evaluation process, provides confidence in the confidence of the global family of accreditation bodies. That provides the first link in a chain of confidence. Confidence in an accreditation body means confidence in the conformity assessment bodies it accredits, which in turn means confidence in the reports or certificates or data issued by that conformity assessment body. So mutual recognition between accreditation bodies provides a global network, a global chain of trust in conformity assessment results. Now, the major beneficiary of this is trade, trade at the global level. The global framework is used to underpin the acceptance of reports and certificates internationally, uh, thereby reducing technical barriers to trade. For example, and this is a very simple example, if a product being exported is tested in a laboratory accredited by an accreditation body that is a signatory to these global arrangements, that product can be accepted by an importing country without the need for retesting. Now, that's a very simple, Mm. straight-line example. It's a little more complicated than that, that, but but... (laughs) that's the theory. Now, if a product can be accepted um, into an importing country without the need for retesting or recertification or re-inspection... That reduces time to market for imported products. It reduces things like costs, costs for warehousing, for example. Uh, Also, the potential for product wastage due to spoilage or damage. Having said that trade is a major beneficiary of these arrangements, it's also worth noting that global trust in reports, certificates from accredited cabs extends beyond trade in goods and products. For example, during the COVID-19 pandemic, we saw testing requirements for international travellers to some destinations specify accreditation to the International Standard for Medical Pathology Laboratories, ISO 15189. Further to that, the International Standard for Biobanks can facilitate global confidence, not just in the physical exchange of samples for research, but also in the sharing of data that's uh, deposited in these biobanks. So
0: Kylie, do you have some examples?
2: Yeah, thanks, Brendan. Um, yeah, some of the the best examples, I suppose, that we have from the IAF side is the number of schemes that are managed by the IAF association members. And just to give you some examples of these, there's the Telecommunications Industry Association that uh, relies on management system certifications that are awarded under the the infrastructure. We also have the program for endorsement of forest certification, which is PEFC, which of course um, has several different standards that look at the management of forests and also the chain of custody of wood products from the forest through to uh, the user. And then there's also the International Aerospace Quality Group the IAQG, which of course is looking at products for uh, that particular industry sector. So each of these organisations utilise the infrastructure. So they're requiring that the certifiers within their schemes are accredited by bodies that are IAF MLA signatories. And so they see the benefits of having their schemes underpinned by this infrastructure which provides the various levels of confidence that Jennifer mentioned in her response.
0: So it's really consumers right around the globe. If I boil it back down though, it's consumers right around the globe, no matter where they are, that are actually getting the beneficiaries of all of these particular schemes, right?
2: That's right. Yeah. And it's not just the global. You know, schemes that are getting the benefits, but we also see many national um, schemes and regional schemes that are using the infrastructure to provide them with the confidence in the conformity assessment results.
0: So accreditation really is that, that hidden safety net in a way. It's very interesting to see the global cooperation and mutual trust between accreditation bodies established many years ago under the umbrellas of ILAC and IAF to facilitate trade and, and support economic growth. And importantly, as you mentioned, the trust of global quality infrastructure operators in accredited conformity assessment results. But how do ILAC and IF assure industry, regulators and consumers that the recognised accreditation bodies and accredited conformity assessment bodies have the necessary competence in vital sectors uh, in relation, for example, say to the environment and climate change that are part of um, the primary importance to achievement of the UN 2030 Sustainable Development Goals?
2: Yeah, so I think as Jennifer's already mentioned, competence is really a cornerstone of accreditation. So the standards that we as accreditation bodies need to meet, and um, Jennifer mentioned ISO IEC 17,011, that has an emphasis on the importance of competence of personnel that are involved in the accreditation activities. So at that level, we make sure that we have Um, assessors and assessment teams that have the requisite competencies to carry out their assessment activities. And as do the standards that we use to accredit our conformity assessment bodies. So each of those standards also have specific requirements for competencies in the conformity assessment activities that they provide. And that might be inspection, it might be testing, it might be validation and verification. So we also have IF and ILAC that have a role in this as well. Because where there's perhaps perceived deficiencies or ambiguities around these competence requirements in these standards, IF and ILAC have a role in identifying those ambiguities or filling those gaps. And an example of that would be where the IAF has developed up a set of additional competencies for accreditation body assessors so that we can clearly sort of identify what those specific competencies are on top of what is written in our base standard 17,011. Now, in addition to that and very specific to, um, I suppose, to sustainability and climate change, when uh, the IAF first published or first, I suppose, got into greenhouse gas validation and verification, it was identified that there were insufficient uh, requirements around competencies for validation and uh, verifier bodies. And this was all before ISO 14,066 was published. And so IAF stepped in and developed up additional competencies to support the rollout of that particular program. And, of course, all of the compliance with these competence requirements is confirmed through the peer evaluation process.
0: Right. So, Jennifer, there's a number of layers here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there's, that's, I think, as, as Kylie has indicated, Brendan, there are a number of layers there and they're all designed to give users, end users, of this standards and conformance infrastructure confidence. Firstly, as we've mentioned a number of times, accreditation bodies must first and foremost comply with the core international standard. Uh, That is the one that we're all um, peer-evaluated against every four years. As recognised accreditation bodies I've already mentioned, our accredited conformity assessment bodies themselves need to comply with international standards of best practice and there's one for every different type of conformity assessment activity. Further to that, it may be that the conformity assessment bodies or in the case of certification, the certified organisations themselves need to comply with rules and requirements of specific schemes. Before a scheme itself can be recognised, the scheme's rules and requirements Are evaluated to ensure they're sufficiently comprehensive and rigorous and can be applied in the accreditation framework. So there is layer upon layer upon layer of review, of evaluation, of testing to ensure that whatever we're doing is rigorous. And all of this is designed to give the end user, whoever that end user is, it can be government, it can be regulator, it can be business, it can be a consumer. It's all about confidence. In the competence of the whole infrastructure.
0: Well, it sounds like a sedimentary rock. There's layer upon layer upon layer. It, is, no, layer upon, and, and it is layer upon layer. I know it is. is. The rock on which it's all built, So, which is great. Look, there's a global focus on climate change at the moment and the environment, and I guess especially sustainability. How can accredited conformity assessment services help to support this transition to? You know, what we all want is a sustainable future.
1: Yeah, Brendan, it's a a good question. The challenge for all accreditation bodies is that these initiatives are driving change. They're driving change in the conformity assessment landscape. We are seeing new international standards uh, such as ISO IEC 17029. Kylie mentioned that, the validation and verification standard new schemes such as ICAO Coursier, and that's in the certification space, it's not my special subject, so perhaps I'm speaking a little bit out of turn here, but we are seeing the also seeing the emergence of new conformity assessment bodies or existing conformity assessment bodies extending their scope of recognition into these new areas. In more traditional areas, the ones that I operate in, such as testing, we're seeing regulators and consumers driving demand for greater accuracy, better sensitivity and specificity, lower limits of detection, better measurement capability. Conformity assessment bodies are needing to transition to new technologies or adopt new methodologies to meet this new demand. These initiatives give accreditation, in my view, a much more vital role in underpinning assurance that the conformity assessment activities supporting environmental protection uh, and sustainability are accurate and reliable and can be trusted. Uh, Now, these can be, for example, just to give some simple examples, testing of air, water, soil for environmental parameters and their compliance with specified limits. It can be accrediting reference materials producers, for example, that produce the certified reference materials necessary to support this testing. It can also be where opinion, interpretation and professional judgment are a key component of the conformity assessment uh, activity. Accreditation can provide assurance that there's a robust process to support that more subjective component of the conformity assessment activity. For example, um, we're seeing uh, accreditation now uh, looking at modelling and forecasting, for example, using conformity assessment results. Accreditation can give users of forecasting and modelling services uh, greater confidence that there's a process. It's not just pulling numbers, pulling opinion out of the air. There's a robust process that underpins those forecasts, those models. As the conformity assessment landscape transitions as ABs, we need to keep pace. We need to work actively with governments, uh, with regulatory authorities. As I said before, with industry, it's important that we stay focused on what industry needs as well with our accredited conformity assessment bodies and with consumers to ensure our processes remain fit for purpose and don't inhibit these incredibly
0: important initiatives. And Kylie, you, uh, you have a view on that too.
1: Yes, I think
2: just building on from what Jennifer says, I think that the growth in the, the area, particularly of sustainability, poses some real challenges for IF and, and ILAC because we have a very broad um, spectrum of activities. Being able to understand some of these emerging areas, we really need to focus in on them and make sure that we have appropriate contact with those that are actively participating in these areas and that's why the IAF has established a sustainability advisory task force that will be working with the IAF executive to really try to tease out what um, sustainability will mean to IAF, reaching out to the stakeholders in this space and really providing IAF with some strategies on, um, on how we can actively participate Um, I suppose, in this space. But IAF already has a history uh, of working with sustainability and environmentally sort of focused schemes. As an example, we have Global Gap, which, for instance, has been accepted under the IAF MLA as a sector scheme. And it supports sustainable agriculture with a focus on good agricultural practice and environmental risk management. So that's a, a perfect example of a relationship that we've had with a scheme owner now for many, many years. And we also have, as Jennifer mentioned before, ICAO CORCIA, uh, which is a carbon offsetting and reduction scheme for international aviation. So again, we have a, a scheme that has reached out to IAF to be an association member and to be recognized under our MLA because they recognize the uh, the benefits of having this infrastructure to support their scheme and their particular industry sector. So I think that you can see through those just those couple of examples where, We've had these relationships in the past, but we want to build on them with new stakeholders, new groups, so that we can more fully understand how we can support other schemes and and sectors with respect to sustainability.
0: So that's on obviously on a global scale. So like you're both ILAC and IAF members. So do you maybe have some examples of how your individual organizations, NATA and Jazz Ants, are supporting initiatives around sustainability, economic growth and the environment, you know, perhaps in your own backyards?
2: Yeah, so just recently, uh, Brendan, we've, here in Jazz we've appointed a new sustainability and environment sector manager. So Sherry Lehman has joined our organisation and she brings with her some specific capabilities around sustainability that uh, we probably haven't had in the organisation previously. And we see that this is strategically going to position us Uh, to be able to respond to the growing number of initiatives in this space, uh, particularly with the focus of the new Australian government towards net zero emissions by 2030. There are also some regional initiatives that are emerging, particularly around the use of renewables. For instance, just the other day, we saw a um, proposed project through the APEC region around uh, the use of battery energy storage systems and how conformity assessment could support um, the safety of those types of systems. So there's lots happening, and I think that by um, bringing in that capability now, we're better placed to actually address any specific areas that we could be involved in Uh, we also see a number of opportunities emerging around e-waste recycling reuse of products particularly through the um, department of environment and we've managed an e-waste scheme for for many years but we see that the management of e-waste is really becoming more of a, a whole of chain approach in that Um, it's not just about the managing of electrical equipment when it comes to the end of its life, but also how that can be recycled and reused. So we're really talking more about, you know, this circular economy approach. So it's really exciting times. And I think that we're setting ourselves up now so that we'll be able to respond to that more effectively.
0: That's very very interesting, I think.
1: Yeah, it is very interesting. And I think Kylie has has pointed out the importance of engagement. And that's really our focus at NATA as well. We need to engage with our key stakeholders at the national level. I've mentioned government. I've mentioned industry to understand how accreditation can support these initiatives. As I said earlier, there's a drive for better specificity, better degrees of accuracy. Uh, Environmental DNA, for example, is, is now very topical. And we're talking about minute amounts uh, to be able to track the types of DNA in in environmental samples. So um, we've got uh, projects working with the Australian Department of Agriculture, for example, uh, to explore how can accreditation support these these initiatives. But what I will mention, Brendan, is the work that is being done, a project that's being done by NATA, by Jazans and GS1 Australia. And GS1 is an international standards writing body for those who've not Heard of it. And the work that we are doing has support from the Australian Government. So it's uh, considered by the Australian Government to be seminal work. Earlier this year, we published a report that outlines a proposal for digitally linking conformity assessment information, such as test reports or certification certificates, to the product to which it pertains. Uh, So, in very simple terms, a user could scan a barcode or a QR code physically attached to a product and gain access to the relevant report or certificate, including the accreditation information, so including the accreditation status of the conformity assessment body that's issued that report or certificate. Now, this is to facilitate access to conformity assessment information and mitigate either intentional or unintentional misalignment of this information and the product It's very easy for products and conformity assessment information to be either accidentally or deliberately And This doesn't happen now, obviously. No, no, it doesn't happen. This has far-reaching benefits globally and domestically. In terms of sustainability and the environment, this would enable a user to very quickly be able to determine the credentials of a product. It would also increase the accuracy of of ascertaining those credentials. It enables the user to be able to make informed choices about whether or not uh, the user would, would use that product or the uses for which that product is
0: fit. Well, you've mentioned the report on a global digital trade initiative is mm. linking conformity data. Yeah. I understand the paper's already attracted the attention of other ILAC and IAF members, conformity assessment bodies, and the World Trade Organization. So where do you see this going?
1: Look, the sky's the limit, I think. We are just about to build the architecture for a pilot, which will run here in Australia, uh, with the help of some of the key contributors to the work so far. The proposal, as outlined in our report, utilises an existing framework of global identifiers, which we are suggesting can be applied to conformity assessment whether it be conformity assessment reports and certificates or conformity assessment bodies themselves, these identifiers can simply be transitioned to the conformity assessment framework. So our hope is that our pilot will be successful and that we'll generate even more interest and momentum. Uh, There's we also know there's other work going on globally in this digitalisation space, and it's not the same as ours, but it certainly needs to be aligned with our work. So we're actively working with other players in this space to ensure that we're not replicating work, duplicating work, or actually running different paths.
0: Different paths, right. Yeah.
1: We need to get the best outcomes of this work. And the best way to do that is to work together.
0: Right. And Kylie, obviously your um, Jazz Ants has obviously been actively involved in this uh, this initiative, this project as well. Would you like to add anything from a Jazz Ants perspective?
2: As Jennifer said, you know, the sky is the limit. And she's also mentioned that there are a number of initiatives globally that appear to be sort of dovetailing with this whole digitalisation approach that uh, that the project suggests. For many years, JazzAns has actually had a a register of certificates that are issued by our accredited bodies. And we developed that many, many years ago because we understood that there would be this need to verify information that was provided, verify certificates that um, were provided to the users or customers of products and services so that they had the knowledge, the information uh, to have confidence in in those goods and services. So we certainly see how that information that we have can be um, utilised within this framework that's suggested through this project. And we find that very exciting. We also realise the value that that data um, has for us when we undertake our assessments as well. When we're preparing for our own assessments, we look through the data provided in that certificate data to uh, provide us with, I suppose, leads or or high risk areas that we look at through our assessments as well. Now there's also, of course, other databases that some of our accreditation uh, body peers are developing. And again, those databases, the data that are contained in those databases can be used within this, um, this framework that's suggested in the project. And then of course, IAF themselves have a management system certificate database called IAF CertSearch that we're currently populating with management system certificates. Again, the data from that can be used in this sort of um, a framework that's being suggested. So we see that as, as really important way of servicing the users of our infrastructure because we're providing the data that they need to have confidence in the goods and services that are certified or tested or whatever under the infrastructure.
0: Well, it certainly sounds like a big initiative. And I guess big data is really one of the the things that is is driving a lot of the global economies these days in terms of everyone's trying to get their head around. So uh, it's probably a good place to end our discussion for today. So many thanks to our guests, uh, Jennifer Evans and Kylie Sheehan, for their insights. We all have a role to promote how accreditation supports sustainability in economic growth and the environment. If you're interested to know more about the benefits of accreditation and what it can bring to your national economy, you can check the businessbenefits.org and the public sector assurance websites links on the IAF and ILAC websites. Now, the ILAC website is ilac.org and the IAF website is iaf.nu. So that's it for this episode of Accreditation Matters. Until our next episode. Take care.